Chips on the court, downs off of it. It's been a strange week for the team. We're reviewing it here on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm JP Chunga, obviously going to address what happened Tuesday as the team was trying to travel to Memphis, having to make an emergency landing. I'll let you hear from the players themselves as they explain that situation and True Hoops' David Thorpe, the psychology of getting a team directed into playing a game the very next day. We dive into that, and David has the Jazz in his contender tier number one, top of the heap when it comes to contending for an NBA Finals. I'll ask him in just a moment. Podcast brought to you by Bailey's Moving and Storage. We move you every step of the way, near or far, big or small. Bailey's Moving and Storage. I'm going to get out of the way for the first part of this podcast because I want you to hear from the guys the worst case scenario when you're on a flight, what you hope you never have to go through, you can relate. But that one that was terrible, that turbulent flight, you remember those moments. And this one ended up with an emergency landing at Salt Lake International. Troop was all over the story. It's just an incredibly human scenario. I wanted you to hear from the humans themselves. Jordan Clarkson, Mike Conley, they spoke on it after Wednesday's game. I mean, I kind of just wanted to get on another flight immediately trying to get over that, like, scare. Like, I don't, I don't know what was reported yesterday in terms of, like, uh, it was just, like, a little emergency landing or something like that. But I feel like a lot of people on that plane, uh, it was like one of those flights where you were sending out texts. I know you've seen on the movies when a plane about to crash or something. It, was, it, it got to that point where we was all on the plane, like, Yo, this might be really the end. Um, so, I mean, it was a, a crazy situation. Um, I understand fully why, uh, you know, Don didn't uh, come because, I mean, all of us were just like kind of like out of there and then in like limbo, like, whoa, what, what just happened? It's just like real life. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely something that, you know, you kind of got to, you know, push through and, um, get over it, but it's just uh, that's just a tough situation. I mean, I don't think that's happened many times uh, on a plane ride. I've talked to uh, many of my friends that are in the league, and they said uh, like that that's the biggest fear. <laughs> and for that to happen, um, you know, I, I understand uh, everybody's uh, point and you know perspective on that thing as well. So, uh, I mean, it is what it is. You know, you take your time off, everybody. So, uh, you know, you just got to figure out a way to uh, push through that and uh, keep going. Hey, what happened on yesterday's flight for a good for a good 10, 15 minutes, I think all of us on that flight were questioning if we were going to, you know, be here today. You know, so that was that's how serious it was for us. And, um, you know, can't speak for everybody, but I know that, you know, guys were text trying to text family and, you know, just uh, just in case, you know, it was that kind of situation. And we're, th- we're just thrilled and thankful for the pilots and the staff and what they were able to do to get us back home safely. And um, I think a lot of us were shook up. Obviously, you know, you don't just go, you know, go through something like that and get back on a plane and head to go, you know, play a game again. So put, put perspective on life for all of us. And like I said, we're just all thankful to be here and um, doing what we love to do. So where I sit on the plane is where I could see, uh, you know, the engine and everything. Uh, 
I happened to be being a bad kid and uh, kind of getting up and grabbing something out of my bag while we was taking off. Um, and, you know, I just remember walking back to my seat. And as I got to my seat, I just hear a loud bang. And me and Mike looked at each other and he was like, oh, those, those, those are the birds. I guess Mike seen the birds passing through the window and then seen it as it was happening. So all I heard was a bang. And then I turn and look out the window and see the whole like engine shaking and everything. And then you see everybody in the back kind of like, you know, reacting to what's going on. And, you know, a lot of the people in the back that were sitting like, you know, behind the engine and stuff like that, they seen a burst of flames. So immediately they, they're probably thinking like the plane is fully caught on fire. And I see everybody kind of reacting towards that. Um, and then rec just recalling that whole situation was pretty crazy. The whole plane just started shaking. It was just, uh, it's definitely uh, something that, you know, experience that I'm happy that, you know, we we able to tell. Because um, like I said, a lot of us really, uh, you know, came to <clears throat> like a, a point, at least 30 seconds in that flight, everybody came to the point where it was like, man, this might be, this might be over for us. And, um, you know, it's sad to say that. And, you know, I don't play with death or any, anything like that. Um, and uh, it's just something that, you know, we got to push through and come together and, uh, you know, keep going uh, stay strong, support each other, whatever, how, how much time we got to take off or whatever, you know, talking to, you know, our mental health people or whatever it is, uh, you know, this is, that's a serious situation uh, if you've never been faced with, um, you know, life and death, stuff like that. So, uh, you know, respect to everybody that's, uh, you know, gone gone through this situation on, on this plane. Yeah, I think it was me, JC, uh, Joe, and Mie, Favors. Like, we're all kind of right there in between both wings of the plane. And uh, and all of a sudden, it felt like there was an explosion. Uh, like, literally, it, that's what it sounded like for most people on the plane. Like, something, like, we hit something big. And the plane immediately started to bounce and then just started tilting to the left and, people in the back of the plane said they saw flames and, you know, people in the front obviously didn't know what was going on. And like immediately like altitude started to drop a little bit and, and we started like, like looking down and like wondering what, what just happened. And like, nobody knows, everybody's just quiet, you know, we're just in shock and, and it took, uh, you know, the pilots, you know, probably five to 10 minutes, probably about 10 minutes to go through everything and get, you know, go through their checks and, kind of get back to us and let us know what was going on because it was obvious that uh something was really wrong with the plane it felt like the plane was like breaking apart in midair so for us we you know for like I said for five ten minutes you know it felt like just just complete helplessness so um you know we we're we're thankful it wasn't as, as serious as as it, it it could have been um but it was it was scary flight attendant and the pilots were very calm when they got on the intercom uh, basically telling us what happened, uh, saying we lost the engine. Um, and, you know, we're going we gonna to be able to land somewhere. And uh, we'll, they were saying they was going to turn, turn the play around. So um, that definitely was a, a comforting thing. But we were all looking out the window like, man, just land this. <laughs> just land anywhere. We don't care. We can check everything else later. Once we get on the ground, just please just put this plane on the ground and just let us let us live and, and get, get past this. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a common, uh, common, 
kind of thing. Once the pilot got on there, he was super calm and, uh, you know, let us know what's going on. And, uh, you know, we got back to the ground. Uh, shout out to them for, you know, landing and getting it back safe and uh, all that. These are fathers, and that's how they felt with their life pretty helpless as they're in the air. Just an incredible situation, amazed by the pilots and for everyone being safe and everyone getting through that scenario. You have to understand where others are coming on, too. If that's how those guys felt and they were able to get through it, but you also have to commend a Donovan Mitchell who has spoke about his fear of flying and he sat out Wednesday due to personal reasons. Totally understand. Scary situation, but everyone's okay. On the court, as we veer away from what happened off of it, thing that I learned over the last four games, not so much learned. I think everybody who's listening to this podcast knows it. Rudy Gobert's the deep boy, though. It was more clear over the last four than I think I've ever seen over the entire season. Yeah, I've been pretty amazed by the way that Rudy has played the nine-block game. Sure. Wow. That one's outstanding. But over the four-game stretch and over the last two weeks, you look at cleaning the glass, Jazz have the second-best defense. They're getting back to that defensive identity. They aren't corrupting those defensive principles. And it's at the hub of Rudy Gobert. Look at Monday, where they kept Cleveland to the second lowest point total of the entire season. Any team. Only one that beat him was that Clippers stinker against the Mavs. He alters shots. He is the most impactful defensive player in the entire league. And it's by virtue of being the big man. In basketball, the tallest players are predisposed to have the biggest impact. I get it. You're listening to Jazz Podcasts. may want to hear me make fun of Ben Simmons, call him a fraud, feel disrespected by him. Incorrect. He's pretty good. He's exceptional defensively. Very good. High level. But affecting the game on the perimeter is not the same as affecting as a seven-footer. Your defense unto yourself. And as you see, the Grizzlies have to settle for floaters. Mid-range shots. Cleveland just getting rebuffed at the rim. Rudy guarding out on the perimeter on Colin Sexton and blocking a jump shot. John Morant having to go around and gnash instead of getting his usual drive-to-the-basket shots. He's just so good that this stretch of games has sealed the award for me with him. The way that you'll hear the talk shows discuss Jokic in the MVP, that's where you should be on Gobert and the defensive player of the year. Far and away, tops in this league. Let's get to Thorpe. Before that, as always, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Five stars, nice reviews, that's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. Help the other jazz fans listen to the best guests on a podcast talking about the Utah Jazz. It's this one. It's Round Ball Roundup. So I appreciate it. And shout out to the other podcasts that get done. Saw Locked On Jazz go for 10 years. Congratulations to the podfather, David Locke. He's an OG in the game. Gotta kiss the ring. There are a lot of good podcasts talking about the jazz. Thank you for making us a part of it. Let's talk to David. True Hoop, the coach, Thorpe on Twitter. 
I wanted to get him on for the basketball info because it's high level. He does this from his own coaching perspective, working with so many players in the league, working with amateur players. He sees the game the way that it should be played, the modern way. He's evolved in that respect. And so I want you to hear David talk about this team, but also talk abstractly about how to work a player out of a slump. Boyan was going through it a little bit. How do you coach somebody out of that? And then I want to hear how a coach would approach what happened Tuesday. How do you get everybody on the same page? I assume that, and that's where we start. Please enjoy True Hoops, David Thorpe. When it comes time to move, it's always a hassle. Loading everything in the truck, hoping the priceless antique from your mother doesn't break, and trying to juggle the kids and dog in the middle of it all is enough to drive anyone crazy. But it doesn't have to be that way. The friendly, background-checked movers at Bailey's Moving and Storage have the expertise to move your family across town or even around the world. So when it's time to move, think Bailey's Moving and Storage. Call today at 801-218-2640 or check them out online at baileysallied.com. with that so uh, I I always try to take a scientific approach to anything really and um, I actually used to work in an industry I owned a company that managed sporting events and in that process we managed uh, we chartered aircraft right and motor coaches and limousines and you know mechanical things happen right uh, I'm not exactly sure I'm right but I think it's something like 5,000 flights a day occur around the world. It's a big, big, big number. And uh, my sister-in-law is a pilot, long-time pilot with a major commercial airline. She flies all over the world all the time, very often in Asia. Uh, and she's based in America, so it's a long flight. And uh, yeah, you're going to hit birds sometime. It's just it, bad things are going to happen, right? Bad luck's going to happen. The good news is the pilots knew what they were doing. Most Mistakes in the air are pilot's errors. It's not, almost all major accidents occur, occur from pilot error. The studies show that. So in this case, the, the variable were the birds and the pilots got to the ground extraordinarily safely, right? And so uh, just understand that there's no guarantees in life, but in terms of odds, you're much better off getting back on a plane than you are getting your car. And that's exactly what I've said to players who have dealt with it. Or play, friends of mine too, but yeah. Uh, that's exactly what I've said is, if you got in the car, uh, there's the evidence is you took more risk than uh, you'd, or if you'd, you'd drink a lot, at, at particularly out of the party, the evidence is you were better off getting on a plane than having you know, seven beers or whatever. So uh, I, I try to use science as a way to get them to relax and, and just move on. And once you get back on the horse, you're probably fine. What can you communicate as the coach to keeping everybody aware that one of your teammates was rattled, this being Donovan Mitchell. He didn't play yeah. uh, last night against Memphis. Right. But keeping everybody focused enough so that they could get the job done when it comes to a game uh, after having that experience. Well, I would have taken – I don't know what Quinn did, but I would have I would have said it's okay to be rattled. And if we suck and we lose, so what? Like it's one game. That's one of the benefits of being as good as they've been for so long. Their margin for error is, is exists, right? They have a margin for error now. They can they can lose some games they weren't supposed to lose. And losing to Memphis 
at full strength with perfect flying condition isn't the worst thing in the world in Memphis. Memphis is playing for something, right? The fact that uh, they had an excuse and Donovan wasn't there, no matter what the reason was. Uh, you know, you guys, if we end up not playing, what's well, not the end of the world? I would not have, I, I would have argued that, that all of you got a quick glimpse into what many people in the world deal with commonly, which is their, their fragility of their life is something they're reminded of frequently. Whether it's health reasons, where they live, uh, uh, for whatever, you know, whatever's going on, there are people who live every day not worrying, not knowing they'll for sure wake up tomorrow. My dad's 80, gonna be 81, he's not doing great. He doesn't have the luxury that Donovan Mitchell and those other guys have. My dad doesn't know if he's gonna wake up tomorrow. We hope he is. We're we're trying to breathe spirit into him. We don't know. And he doesn't know. And so there's lots of there's millions of people, right? So it's okay to be a little nervous, okay to be a little stressed, and let's just move on. Uh, uh, I would have validated those concerns. I think from what I've read and seen, they have. Like the Jazz have not tried to tell Donovan to man up or something stupid like that. Yeah. It's okay to be rattled. I think they were rattled. Uh, our reporting shows that they were rattled. Um, True, I think might have even broke the news, actually. We might have been the first to get it out there. Uh, source, uh, 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 and it reacted on it. And um, yeah, it's, I, I think it's a mistake to gloss over it. It happened. We should identify it, talk about it. My background is in psychology. That was my major in college, which does not make me an expert, but I am familiar with these kinds of things. Uh, validate it and let's just continue to talk about it together. And yeah, we can get distracted by actually focusing on our, our careers and our jobs. Great, or your family, whatever it takes to help you get your mind off of it. I will say one last thing to anyone listening in Utah that does not like to fly, and maybe this has made it worse. Very first flight I ever took, I was 12 years old. So this would be a long time ago, 1977. I was just taking an hour flight to a, a sleepaway camp in Georgia. And the guy, and I was super nervous by myself. The guy next to me was a college student who was uh, uh, training to be a pilot. Uh, and he basically said to me, when you feel bumps, close your eyes and imagine the back of a pickup truck on a bumpy road. I'm 56 now. So it was 44 years ago. That's exactly what I do. And I just talked to a friend the other day, a, a girl that I went to college with and told her that. And um, she said it really helped the last time she flew because she doesn't like all those bumps. And there's a scientific reason for the bumps. But yeah, just you just got to find a peaceful place and go there in your mind, and, and eventually it'll seem like old hat There you go. That's good advice from Coach David Thorpe. Think about mm -hmm. it as the bumps. It seems uh, as if many on the team, it could be a, a moment kind of like that Thunder picture that was very wholesome posted this week of Shea Gilgis Alexander holding Lou Dort. That was the best. That was That's the what you're best. gonna have to do. That's what you're gonna have to do when it comes to yeah. this situation, holding the hand of of your teammate as you get through this type of scenario. I'm sure that was something that occurred on the court. Seven games in a row, uh, continuing what they've done from the first half of the season, after a little bit of a bumpy road into the second half. I was looking in our email chain and I shared with you one of the possessions from last year where it looked Spursian and the passing was beautiful. It seems like every single night now for this team, we're seeing that recur, recur, recur. What have you seen in the change from year to year, what the Jazz are doing to where now they are number one in the league as record? 
Okay, buckle up. <laughs> I see a lot of things. I have watched them. Uh, I've watched them more than any team in the league because I, I think they have a chance to win, a really good chance to win a championship. And I know less about them than I do some of the other contenders that I've been watching for a long time, right? Um, I do not think the Jazz are playing very well. I think they had been playing very well. I think seven games winning is seven games winning. Like there's never apology for that. Uh, it helped to play the Clevelands and whomever, right? But um, I think that, well, first of all, you got to, we've written an article about this. Quinn's decision to just shoot way more threes is great. Like really, really smart. Whoever, whoever's decision it was, he's the coach. So I'm giving him the credit. Really wise. Okay. And that has opened up the game for Mike Conley. To, I'm writing about an article about Mike Conley this week at Troop. I just finished it. It's being edited now. Uh, Conley is having one of his best years of his career. Uh, I think he is. The, I think he looked like the future of the NBA at guard, the, the near future, because as more teams shoot more threes with better shooters, the Jazz have six guys shooting better than 39% from three, not including your biggest gunslinger of all, which is Clarkson. So you've got to make a decision as a team defensively and as they spread out to guard all those guys, and, and you've got, you can't not guard Jordan just because he's not shooting 39%, 35%. So got to guard him. And then you got Rudy Gobert slicing to the rim. That has opened up a, a lane for Mike Conley and his right-hand floater, right? And his little pull-up jumper, his left-hand pull-up jumper. So uh, I, that decision by Coach Snyder has, has made them much better offensively. I think they're third in the league offensively. And then they lost their identity last year defensively. And now that's back. Uh, in particular, last night, I thought Rudy was absurd in a good way. He was amazing. Before his dunk, where he almost kicked the rim, like impactful. Like he was really trying to make plays on both ends in a way even more so than normal. He's an all-star. He's deserving of that. So Rudy's defensive, I think he's the runaway defensive player of the year. Ben Simmons is number two in my book. Rudy for sure has it. As I see it, they're number three on defense too. The only team in the league that is top three in both. That may not end that way, but that's where it is now. And I think the last time that happened is with like three of the Warriors teams that won two titles, and uh, and maybe the one they lost to Cleveland after they won seventy three games. Pretty good company to be in if they can maintain it. So the problem I have with the Jazz is, and I've written this too, is I think they're a little too reliant on Jordan Clarkson, Jordan Clarkson's gunslinging. And I'm disappointed in both Jordan and the staff to not rein that in because his shot selection is awful. It just so happens that he's a brilliant talent. He makes shots that almost no one in the world can make repeatedly. It's amazing. But if you think he's going to do that, at the level he did for much of the year against the best defenses in the league in the playoffs when they're watching game, when they're playing the same game, the same team over and over, I think that's naive. I don't think it's likely to see that Jordan Clarkson that we've seen up until the last three weeks in the postseason. Therefore, I would like the Jazz to tweak that a little bit 
challenge him to be a little bit more mindful of his shot selection. Maybe they're afraid to do that because he'll self-destruct. I understand that part of it. You're almost afraid to coach him. But I think that's their Achilles heel, if they have one, because I love that. I picked them I, a week ago. I picked them on our podcast to win the chance to make it to the championship. Like, I think they're amazing. And they're really deep, which is, and they have such a lead that they can rest their starters in May. And I don't know that other teams are going to have that luxury. And so, and, and then in the postseason where fatigue still can be a factor, they shouldn't be fatigued because of what I'm just saying and because they go nine deep. I don't count Oni as the 10th guy. Through Nang and nine, through Georgia, they're, they're Georgia nine deep. Uh, and they have so many weapons. Like, they, they just have so many different guys that can go crazy in a game and beat you. Uh, and so I think it's encouraging that they're not playing so well right now. And they went 10 and five in the last 15 games because you don't want to peak now. Let them work towards something. You want to start peaking as you hit the postseason, but not before you hit the postseason. Like if they start peaking near the end of series one, that's a good thing, right? They almost did last year. They peaked just before they closed the deal in the series. Uh, but I think that if they if they continue to play defense where they're playing, you're you're describing that offense of sharing the ball. It it, it happens some. It should happen more when they're playing that way. Uh, then I I think that they're the best team in the league and can beat LeBron and AD and Kawhi and Paul and Giannis and Chris and whatever. I think they'll I think they'll beat them all. They're because of the way they play and the number of good players that they have. And I also think Donovan Mitchell is still evolving in a good way. So uh, Donovan was on tear before this incident with the plane. Let's hope he would, no reason to think he won't return the way he did. We know what he can do in the postseason. I'd like for Quinn to trust his bench. He didn't in game seven against Denver last year. Maybe he learned. Their, their bench unit of... Clarkson, Conley, Ingles, Yang, and Gobert destroy teams. Destroy teams. And they're playing Rudy against some backup bigs that the rotations go, where he plays the first half of the quarter and then middle goes to favors, then back to, to Rudy in the end of that quarter. Well, I, I looked up that second unit because uh, uh, Clarkson is such so intriguing to me as a pure scorer. I could be wrong, but the stats I looked up, when, when Niang is on the court with Jordan, Jordan is plus 12 per 100 possessions, I think. When he's not on the court, he's plus one. Now, that's not to say that Jordan Niang is the MVP of the team. Nothing like that at all. What I'm saying is Jordan, when you put him with Ingles, brilliant shooter, maybe the best in the league right now, maybe the best in the world right now, and a playmaker, and Gobert diving to the rim, leads the league in dunks every year, plus Niang, plus Mike Conley, Conley's first team OMBA level player right now. He's not going to get it, but he's playing that way. Well, that unleashes Jordan Clarkson, right? And so there's no reason why that can't happen in the postseason unless Jordan keeps shooting contested shots. What I'm saying is if he can't get the easy shot, because I think it's uh, 30% of Jordan's shots come with no dribbles. The problem is some of those are contested too. If he would give it up early, he'll probably get it back. Those other guys are ball sharers. They're not, they're not gutters. None of those guys are gutters. And Rudy, of course, is just a rim runner anyway. 
Uh, Jordan would get it back and get higher, less contested shots, higher percentage shots, and they'd be even better. And then you throw in the first, the first start, the starting group where Bogdanovich was, he, he was very good last night, but he still looked like you see the play where he made the. I actually watched the game last night. He he had the short jumper that kind of stuck on the rim a little bit, then went in. Like I want to say, dude, you're having a great game anyway. Yeah, like you don't have to celebrate. You 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 got over the slump. But I think that was his way of saying I'm definitely over it now when that ball goes in. But he's not even playing great, and they're doing this. So there's so much chance for him to find his groove and confidence again. Ingles probably doesn't do what he's doing now. It's ridiculous what he's been doing. But maybe Bogey goes up a little bit. So when Eagles come down, they, it's mitigated. They're just, they're just loaded. And they're really defending. That's the best thing. They're really both units, first and second unit, really defending. How do you unlock somebody when they're going through that slump that a Boyan Bogdanovich has gone through, that Jordan Clarkson before last night was having a couple of rough games? How do you keep them going? I was talking to Gordy Chiesa, longtime assistant coach yeah. with the Jazz about it and he was highlighting how while we've moved away from a lot of post ball boyan bogdanovich operating in the post might be a really good uh, scenario for him it simplifies the decision making he can bully players smaller defenders he likes to do that he likes to bully players yeah how do you coach someone through a slump that boyan's going through or or was going through what I've always done, it's, again, I'm a science guy, so I've always gone through process. Uh, most players are slumping. Uh, their slump comes from decision-making and emotion. And so what I always try to get back to is, are you taking the right shot? Do you, ex- do, ex- do you expect to make that shot? If the answer is no, then don't shoot it. And then we have to really work in practice to get your confidence back. But what happens is they end up taking shots they don't typically take anyway to try to jumpstart their you know, the hotness in a sense. And that just further enhances their misses because it's a bad shot. So you know, it used to be when I was a coach in the eighties, when I first started coaching, they talked, you know, we talked about get, we didn't shoot three much back then, get to the free throw line, get an easy jumper. It's not stupid to say that. The problem is some guys like Bowie doesn't have the ball enough his hands to get to the free throw line a lot. So, but you can really stress, make the right basketball play. I feel like basketball is, I, I wrote a book called Basketball is Jazz. There's a lot of meaning to that. There's a rhythm to the game. And so if you honor the rhythm to the game, you are in rhythm. And you are not, and the slump is going to feel uh, far less impactful if, if you're doing everything else well. It, 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 so think about it this way. If you're walking and there's a little pebble in your shoe, it's going to be a nuisance. The, the more you play the right way, the less, of a pebble it is. It's still a nuisance you feel it. It's a big freaking rock. If you're just if you're not playing defense because you're frustrated, if you're emotional, you're complaining to referees, you're chucking shots you shouldn't normally take, you're turning down an opportunity to shoot that you know are open because you're afraid you'll make it, all of that adds up. Make the right basketball play. You do in games that which you practice. And you practice that which you plan on doing in a game. That that combination, that pairing has to has to really be uh, synchronized. Do in practice what you expect to do in games, and then do in the game what you practice, and expect to have success or go play. And stop attaching emotion to your success and failure. And the last thing I always try to tell them is, immerse yourself into the success of your team. 
ultimately that's what matters most, winning games. And so if you were missing 10 or 12 shots, but you made so many other plays, not that your plus minus matters so much because sometimes it doesn't necessarily indicate you played well. If your teammate missed 11 straight shots and you made great 11 great passes, it's not your fault. You made the right play. But over time, you keep making the right play on both ends, and you're a good team, you're positive, your plus minus will show up, your wins will show up, you'll feel better, and I think you'll end up finding your confidence and your swagger back faster. That's what I've always done with players. How do you do it without practice when there's a pandemic and, and you have testing and, and there's so many uh, obstructions to be able to practice or have a shoot-around on a game day? I tweeted about this, oh, yesterday or today. I, I talked to some NBA coaches, some G League coaches, and some college coaches who were in the bubble in Indianapolis and, and some that weren't in the bubble. Uh, it's the hardest thing anyone, and, and the high school coaches too. They've all complained the same thing. It's really hard to do. So what I've done with my players around the world is really emphasized what you're doing when you can practice. There is no time to mess around. Uh, get get working on your, I call it bucket gaming. Some guys can just throw the ball in, uh, but they don't always get a chance to do it if they're role players. But make sure you keep doing it because you never know when the game comes around when you have five shots in the paint and you may have not shot a paint shot in a week. Make sure you work on your weekend stuff. Get your, we try to do five minutes of ball handling every day. No matter where you are, get five minutes of ball handling in minimum. No more than 10, no less than five every day. You maximize your opportunities. That's the, the only answer because there isn't, the extra amount of time that typically is during NBA season or European season, the games are coming faster. So you've got to, you've got to budget smarter. You've just got to be more on top of things. Mike Conley, you mentioned, I think he could probably win if there were award a most comfortable player <laughs> last year. It looked a little bit like he wasn't there uh, in terms of finding the comfort in the Quinn system. Now that he's had a training camp before the bubble, a training camp before this season, it's like he's been through three off seasons with this team. What have you seen from his development finally getting more comfortable and playing the way that he's playing right now, which you've described as all NBA level? The term I use, the word I used today in my article was surgical. He he's like a surgeon on the court now. He's um he's just picking his spots so perfectly. See, Clarkson is a sledgehammer. He is going to attack you no matter what and find a way to get a shot off and then trust that it'll go in. Uh, Conley is disciplined. He's surgical. He's, he's, he's picking his spots. He's, he's quick attacking uh, if you close about too hot, too fast. He's shooting the three that he's supposed to. He's also got some confidence. So he, he's doing some side dribble threes and all of that because he wants to shoot it. He's not in a rush to do anything. He's gotten more comfortable playing off the ball, which is something he never really did. I think he's also gotten used to the space. He never had space in Memphis like he does now. Not that I remember anyway. He's never, no, no one's ever played with six guys shooting 39% or better from three, yeah. plus Clarkson, right? And then you throw in uh, favors and Gobert, two rim runners, and there's your nine rotation players. So And they're different than Mark. I mean, that's natural. They're different oh, than Mark. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, who doesn't roll at all? Um, and really never did. I, I think, yeah, I think Mike, Mike is the prototypical guard of the future in that he doesn't require extra dribbles. So the defense doesn't have the worst thing for Utah is when guys dribble too much. Okay, let's be that that's the antidote that for their for their poise and their delivery. And they deliver it themselves. 
if they dribble too much because they can spread defense out so much with their shooting and then Donovan slashing and then Gobert's uh, rim running that if you end up dribbling too much as what Clarkson does, defense can kind of reorient, reset, and, and strengthen their defense. Conley doesn't do that. He just, the game is easy for him because he makes it easy. And then he, it's, it's almost like um, the Jazz offense is the world's best guitar. And he's just playing it perfectly. You could argue the other way around too, that, that Conley is the guitar and the Jazz offense is the musician. It doesn't matter. The, the metaphor works either way. It's a perfect combination of someone that understands I don't need to dribble more than once or twice to get a shot off. If I do, I'm moving the ball. Uh, he picks his spots if he ever takes more than two dribbles, which he does sometimes. He's never in a rush for that. He's super poised. He's also, this is very important, he's 33, but he looks like he's 24. Right? This guy looks lean and cut, and, and he's still he's still you know, scoots around like a young, young guard and he can really shoot. Like all those things work in this jazz offense. It's, it's as important as uh, signing as we've seen in the league. It was just a brilliant get. Yeah. He's a perfect fit there. He really is. He's been working and obviously jazz with the best record in the league. It's something that they're gunning for. How much of priority would you put on securing that number one seed? I, I'm not always enamored with, with that number one seed because at that level, teams going anywhere. However, tell me if I'm wrong. You follow the Jazz more than I do, but have they won 20 straight home games? They have, yeah, 20 straight. Haven't lost since December. December. Yeah, come on. So be, And they're, they're not even a packed house. Like, there might be – I wrote this on, on True Hoop. Uh, they very well may have a sold-out crowd come um, May. It depends on how things are going, and every state's different. But it might be a case where, let's just say, in round two, they're playing the Lakers, one versus four. Games one and two in Utah sold out. Games three and four, empty arena. So, yeah, it makes a difference in, in that context, right? But um, but I, if you take away that part of it with the fans, because it's an unknown, this team is, is built to win anywhere. Uh, uh, Phoenix hasn't gone through what Utah went through last year. And I think that's instructive. What the, the they, they had the Nuggets reeling. And I'm sorry, Gary Harris isn't such a good player where all of a sudden he should end the series. I thought the Jazz uh, lost themselves. I thought they got selfish. I thought they, and they tightened it. Like I said, in game seven, they tightened the rotation. I thought that was a big mistake. The team ran out of gas. Both, both teams were exhausted. Utah has no excuse. They're loaded. They're so deep. Jordan Yank could start for half the league. Look it up. Look up his metrics. Look up his defensive metrics and his 39% from three after two straight years of 40%. He's like 97 percentile on defense in the league right now. And he's your ninth man. Joe Ingles comes off the bench. He's one of the best players in the league right now, right? Mike Conley is via metrics your best player, but you have Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert on your team. So, yeah, this team is capable of beating anyone four games in seven. And I would even argue four games in six, where game seven doesn't even matter. It doesn't mean they will. The other part of it is we don't know what the Lakers are. I have no idea how AD and LeBron are going to yeah. look. It's possible they look amazing. We don't know. Marcus Saul hasn't done – he's not done three different post-game pressers since they signed Drummond. Something's going on there. That is an ideal, right, who's 
very much a, an emotional leader of that team and, and just a professional guy. The Clippers get bored all the time, just like last year. The Magic were dead in the water. They lost to them because they just get bored. Phoenix has never done this before. So what I'm saying, I mean, Denver is right there. Denver's right there. Uh, Aaron Gordon is, is a difference maker for them, uh, without question, because he's so much better than the guy they were playing, Gary Harris or whoever. So um, I think that the Jazz should be the number one seed because they're the best team. So why not go ahead and be the number one seed? The only thing I would argue is you're better off being a two seed if you if 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 getting a one seed means you never rest your your top five six guys, uh, and they, they I would wait, but by mid April I would start selecting like Donovan not playing in Memphis. Great, you still won the game. He got another day of rest. Other guys got a few more minutes. I think that's something that Jazz should. I'm sure right now they're thinking about when do we who do we start playing more? When do we start playing more? How do we coach these guys a little bit differently? Do we run some ATOs for some of the guys? You know, we have plenty of shooters on that team and not just do it always for Donovan or Jordan. Uh, they've got they've got some room to wiggle with now to play with and I think it make them even better come summer. One well, easiest schedule left the rest mm -hmm. of the way for the Jazz. Right, exactly. The margin of victory every single game allows them to rest players in the fourth quarter, so... Definitely something that they'll have to consider. You mentioned Aaron Gordon. Is that your favorite pickup come trade deadline? For, because for me, if they needed anything, they needed somebody to fill the Jeremy Grant role that they they had lost in this offseason and that gave the Jazz trouble, that gave it gives everybody trouble. Somebody that can go up against LeBron. Now, Aaron Gordon, whatever you felt with, about him in Orlando – He's not going to be asked to be the hub of the offense because it's they have the MVP on their team. They're fine. Right. They're good there. They they have yeah. that covered. Him being as defensive specialist and just being another guy on offense, I think that helps them out and, and could really impact when it comes to the postseason. So I'm lucky enough to have known Masai Ujiri long before he was in the NBA. Uh, and so... Uh, we're friends at a level that's different than what I am with most of the guys that are in the league. And I told him the other day that my favorite move of the deadline was him not trading Lowry <laughs> because I, I, I just, I'm not yeah. giving up. I thought this team was going to be really good. And I thought Chris Boucher was going to be an enhancement over Gasol. And I think I was right on the second part. I was wrong on the first part. They're not a very good team. They've had a lot of bad luck. And it's not, they, they're, they're playing 20 minutes from my house. I haven't gone yet, although after my second dose, I think I'll probably go. Um, but uh, they've had some really bad luck with COVID and all of that. So that's my favorite move. That being said, in terms of acquisition, I, I do think Portland getting Norman Powell was good. But I agree that Aaron Gordon, uh, Aaron Gordon, two years ago, I noticed, was starting to play really good defense. Surprisingly good defense. Like, good enough where I was grabbing clips of his and sending him to players saying, study what this guy's doing. So I was very high on what he was doing defensively. And uh, Zach Lowe, uh, my buddy was ESPN, he refers to like Kawhi and Paul George and LeBron and Giannis and Luca as apex predators. And I, I understand the context. These are monstrously, monstrously talented scorers. And you better have a guy who looks like Aaron Gordon trying to defend them. You're not going to stop them. And you may not even slow them down. But, but we're looking for... You know, the, and the, it's arbitrage, right? You're looking for that tiny little bit of a difference. One less point per game 
can change your series, right? Can certainly change the game. So, uh, and he's just better than anyone else they had playing those minutes. So I also love, it gives them two, I look at it this way. So if Jokic is Patrick Mahomes mixed in with Tom Brady, well, now you get, I don't follow football. So that's the only two football players I know their name, basically. <laughs> I used to, I don't follow them anymore. But you give them two amazing wide receivers because now you have Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon. These are 6'8", six, 6'9", six, super athletic, super tall, super fast guys that have great hands. So you've just given you've just doubled the target for Jokic, who's the best quarterback in the league, probably. So yeah, I I don't love their coach. I like him. I didn't used to not even like Mike Malone as a coach. I like him now. I don't love him yet. Maybe I will. And I'm probably wrong. He, he probably deserves me loving him. I don't know why I don't love him. I'm biased, maybe. But um, I mean, he's he's good. They're really good. And uh, because I don't know what we're gonna see from the other contenders in LA Phoenix being inexperienced but with Chris Paul and the way they're guarding and the way they're shooting too they're great to, all the best shooting teams are all those teams the feet the Suns and the Nuggets and the Jazz uh the Bucks too are in there and the Blazers are number seven I think in field goal percentage from three and top five in the tenths. um yeah all these shooting teams can really make a difference adding a guy like Aaron Gordon you need it I thought the Jazz were smart and the Phoenix was smart not to do anything. Uh, I, I, adding Matt Thomas may not matter. He is a great shooter. He's not a good defender. He's a great shooter. It's always good to have a little depth. Adding Ilya Silva was as a third five because you've got a great duo. I want to see Dirk Favors play a little better. Uh, I haven't studied his stats in the last couple weeks. I'll, Washington play, though, I've not noticed quite the same ability that he had to start the year. Maybe I'm wrong. I want to see that because I loved him as a backup and he was good enough to play with the starters to then allow Rudy to wreck second units with that second unit they have. But um, yeah, I think Denver, I mean, Denver is going to be right there at the end. They have a bright future. Just looking league wide, obviously big one that popped off was Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge joining the nets. Oh, what do we do? Yeah, but have you seen them play in 2021? It's we're not we're not dealing with 2013 Blake Griffin or LaMarcus Aldridge. There's been a lot of clamoring. We saw it in in Woj's piece on ESPN this morning about the buyout market haranguing from small market executives about how it went about. The way I see it is that buyout players don't normally feature big on teams, and especially if you look just in this individual year, Marcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin, you can have them. It doesn't matter right now. What's your view of the buyout market and how it's been represented over the last couple of years? You know, as humans, we get so caught up in brand names, which is why companies spend millions of dollars building their brands. Yeah. And so you're right. Blake Griffin, uh, who has looked better in Brooklyn than he did for a terrible team where he was, isn't, is not likely to meet anything in the postseason. He just isn't. Um, LaMarcus Aldridge, I, I, I don't even know what he's going to be able to do, but to think that these guys are going to be difference makers over G League players who are 25, 26, 27, who didn't go to Europe because they felt like if I go to the G League, the call of opportunities are easy because of all these COVID issues. It's a mistake to think that it, it, they, made, they made a mistake. They should have, there, there's G League players they could have grabbed. There's G League players that are not affiliated with the team. So forget about the two-way guys. 
and, and the contract guys. There's guys they could have got for sure. That would have helped their team for sure. Uh, so uh, if I'm a small market team, I just continue to double down on, on studying the G League, knowing it like the back of my hand, finding those those diamonds in the rough for whatever reason, they didn't get called up enough times, another contract, whatever. Uh, Drummond is already out. That doesn't mean he, I mean, he's 27, 28. Andre Drummond can make a difference uh, because I think LeBron and AD will get the most out of him. Uh, but it's coming at a cost because then Marcus Saul is upset. And I don't know what it's going to mean. I know last year I loved the McGee-Howard combination. It didn't matter in the postseason except for the Denver series. It, they were irrelevant except for that series. So, yeah, Drummond and Gasol probably will be irrelevant except for maybe one series. Um, Blake and, and LaMarcus, yeah, Like, they can help on defense. And the Nets can't guard. They're doing better on defense. Just like to the Jazz, uh, you can't look at a team over the course of the season uh, and get as much as you can over two, three-week pockets of time. That's how I always see it. The, the Nets are playing better defense last 15 games. The Jazz are playing worse defense last 15 games. But it's hard to play, in the Jazz's case, the high level defense they were playing from day one. It's, it's just hard to be number one all year. They're still tough. They're still third overall. And I think that they'll lock in again when they need to. The Nets, I don't know. I mean, the Nets are a long way from the Jazz on defense, for sure. And I just don't think Blake and Lamar have the answer. We're going to find out. And by the way, we have no idea what Kevin Durant's going to look like. I mean, it's possible he looks amazing. Talk about a brand name. It's also possible he's nothing close to amazing. He was pretty good. He was very good before. But now he's been out. He's played 19 games all year. Less than half of what all the Jazz guys have. I think every Jazz player but Conley's played 40 games. Yeah. Right? <laughs> So he'll be rested, but he'll be rusty. It, there's a lot of unknown. That's why I like sticking with the knowns. I like, well, I picked the Lakers to win the championship in June of last year. I wrote an article where I, th- I said they'd win it. We didn't even know when the bubble would be happening necessarily. But I just like going with what I knew, which was Davis and LeBron is a duo better than any duo on the planet. And given all the other unknowns of a COVID bubble in Orlando, I'm going to go with what I know. I, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'm fine with that. And I can change Ryan anytime I want to. Right now, to me, the Jazz are the team I trust the most. So when people ask me today, he's going to win the West, I say Utah. That can change in the future. I think Milwaukee on the East is who I'm most intrigued with. They were really starting to roll when Middleton went out. Uh, I think they've got their defense because they were not playing defense. I think they do now. Uh, I think come, come postseason, we're going to see the, the Bucks at their best. And I happen to think Milwaukee, Utah is the, the most likely finals we're going to see. That would be a huge, huge opportunity for Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, its entire team, if that were to happen. It would be a good finals to boot. The coach, David Thorpe, True Hoop. Bring it in, True Hoop TV. Find him everywhere on Twitter at Coach Thorpe. David Thorpe on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. David, thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure. Be safe. Thank you.